hour number two of Sports Talk begins. And we're pleased to be joined by Vince Ferrara. We will get Vince's views, which is something that you can get every week by checking out 991thesportsanimal.com. That's a blog. And then there's also the podcast when you want Vincenzo's views. Um, has Vincenzo had Vince as a guest or vice versa? <laughs> yeah, they, they cross-promote. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> that, that's pretty cool. So uh, just yeah. let us know the next time that's going to happen. And what I want to see is a picture of the both of them. Because I imagine Vincenzo's always sporting the shades. Yeah, they they dress slightly differently, but you know the base is still there. You know you got to use your resources, John. But we can't get very many guests <laughs> on the blog or the podcast. So you talk to who, you, who will allow you uh, to talk to them. So, but I appreciate you plugging it. Oh no, no problem whatsoever. And also tonight, look forward to your conversation with Jalen Johnson. That'll be a part of the Tennessee pregame, the Tennessee tip-off show. 6.30 is when the broadcast begins, so we're thinking 6.42-ish. Yeah, ball in the spotlight, and you will toss to that. And, uh, you know, obviously Jalen Johnson got his best opportunity for playing time uh, because Josiah Jordan James was out in the Mississippi State game. Reports that he is out for tonight. Grant Ramey, John Rothstein uh, reporting those, and I'm sure others at this point, that Tennessee will be without Josiah Jordan James again tonight. So Jalen Johnson had a really good day, career high and field goal attempts and three-point field goal makes and a bunch of different categories, um, and including points with 13. So he had a really good game and talked to him uh, about his, uh, his development, his focus, and then what Alabama is all about. Uh, so we'll look forward to bringing that to you in the pregame tonight of all in the spotlight before Tennessee and Alabama. And if you want to join the conversation with us for this hour, 656-9900, star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers, the toll-free number 1-866-656-9900. Kansas City rallies to win the Super Bowl. They scored three touchdowns in the last uh, six to seven minutes. And they end up putting away San Francisco 31-20. Your thoughts on the Super Bowl? Well, when... When San Francisco, after they were up 10, they got the interception off of the tip, and they went three and out, and they threw the ball twice, I felt really bad about San Francisco's chances at that point. And I think they were second and five and third and five. Yes, correct. And they were throwing it, and I'm like, hmm. Run for five on first down, then throw, throw. I'm sorry. If you're trying to be, uh, air quote, aggressive and win the game, you do that to your strengths. And yes, Jimmy G, to that point, for the most part, had a good game. The play action worked for him. I get that. Run the ball. The stinking ball. <laughs> the stinking ball. You can fill in the blank to whatever's appropriate to those listening uh, at the time. Uh, but it, it was very frustrating. I don't think either team, honestly for a good part of that game, played to their strengths to what got them there, including the Kansas City Chiefs, now Super Bowl champs. Now, you can say genius by Andy Reid because it worked out, but it took them being down 10 points and midway through the the fourth quarter before they really cut it loose. And not only did they just throw the ball, but they they went uh, up-tempo, which is something also that relaxes Mahomes, and he's in that freewheeling, just backyard type of football mode. I thought I thought Kansas City 
helped San Francisco out through throughout the game because they were more balanced than they have been. Yeah, it moved the chains. It also limited the possessions in the game, but I think San Francisco took that, and they were pleased with that. And the way Kyle Shanahan didn't uh, rush and wasn't more aggressive at the end of the first half told you they were perfectly fine at 10-10 if that's the way it would have happened. And you know, maybe if Kittle doesn't get called for that offensive P.I., you know, maybe they do get some points there. I also didn't like Shanahan when they, they got a, on their field goal, they had a fourth and short. And at that point, Andy Reid and Kansas City are already gone for two fourth downs, two fourth and shorts. I would have liked for Shanahan to have been more aggressive there and 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 go for it rather than just settle for the field goal. And then obviously throwing the ball at the end, uh, throwing it so much in the fourth quarter. Um, you know, I we talked about it, John. You and I talked about it on the NFL uh, report Sunday morning and our preview, and you know, in in the weeks leading up to. To the Super Bowl, that yeah, you can't hold that Falcon Super Bowl against Kyle Shanahan because he wasn't the head coach. Well, based on his play calling in that game, I'm not sure that he did in fact learn his lesson. Uh, ESPN put up a graphic of of Shanahan in that that Super Bowl where he was the offense coordinator of the Falcons and as head coach of the 49ers in those last two Super Bowls. Inside of 10 minutes in the fourth quarter, Shanahan's team in that first Super Bowl outscored 25 to nothing. This game, 21 to nothing. Uh, the time of possession difference, the Falcons minus 522, the 49ers minus 232 in time of possessions. Pass plays, nine in the, in the Falcon, for the Falcons, nine pass plays, four rushes. In this Super Bowl Sunday, 12 pass plays, Two rush plays. Now, a little bit of that is they had, once they fell behind, then they had to keep throwing and throwing. But you don't put yourself in that situation if you run, period, the, period, ball. Stinking. Stinking. (laughs) Stinking exclamation point. So what you're saying is Shanahan would be a a really good hockey coach because they play three periods. (laughs) Very, yeah. Unless he would coach the... The, the third, third period, like the fourth yeah. quarter, <laughs> right? Um, I, you know, the I, last fifteen minutes, especially. Exactly, that's exactly <laughs> right. So, I, I just there are things to point to, but look, the bottom line is, I thought Kansas City's defense was pretty good and good enough, and they had juice in the fourth quarter, whereas San Francisco's pass rush, I thought, lost some steam. Kansas City's defense was wasn't great, but it was improved and good enough, and San Francisco played into their hands and look Mahomes is that special to where you give him a little window he he's going to blast through it and he did it and that's why I knew before they even touched the ball again that it was bad news for San Francisco at that point we, we've seen great basketball players that might have struggled for three quarters but when it comes to crunch time mm-hmm. they make shots they make plays that's kind of what Mahomes is like at quarterback that third and 15 he completed I don't know what the sample size is but on third and 15 or more this year he had a quarterback rating of like 97 plus. All other quarterbacks in the league, their their rating on third and 15 was 4.7. I think it was 13 to 17. For three touchdowns and yep. no picks? Yes. Uh, on third and 15 or more. And that's what the Tyreek Hill pass was that right. really started to open the floodgates for KC. And let me say this, because I, I, I've heard that a lot of people blamed Emmanuel Mosley for the coverage in that mm-hmm. I've seen analysts say that's not on Mosley. I don't know if it was Ryan Clark or who it was, 
but it was a initially a zone concept, but then once you get past 15 yards, it becomes man. So that was not on Mosley. His his assignment was correct to take that underneath guy. Just the safety has to to go over the top and man him up when he comes through the zone, and and he didn't. So it wasn't on Mosley, but uh, tough game for uh, for him. But uh, Dustin Colquitt getting uh, getting that another Super Bowl and. Uh, adding to the Colquitt family, uh, racking up with those Super Bowl titles. Yeah, I wish I'd found the number because I'd seen it posted a couple of times, but Craig Colquitt becomes the first. There had been father-sons that have each won Super Bowl rings. Craig Colquitt becomes the first father with a Super Bowl ring and two sons that each have a Super Bowl ring. Wow. Yeah, because Archie Manning never got to a Super Bowl, did he? No. Or two that, sons. Or, or he would have yeah, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Um, in terms of uh, National Signing Day for Tennessee on Wednesday, probably not a whole lot of action, Vince. No, we'll be prepared for it one yeah. way or the other. But I, I think it's the three names that you know many of the recruiting experts have talked about. It's Zach Evans, who probably doesn't look like he's going to to do anything on Signing Day. Maybe take some visits beyond that. So he's one that you gotta kind of wait it out. But he is still on the table at least for Tennessee. Uh, but really, the ones for tomorrow to look for. Are D. Beckwith from Florence, an athlete, uh, play probably projects to any number of different positions on offense. And Tennessee needs numbers, especially a wide receiver in multiple skill positions. Or, or tight end if he can bulk up and play that position. That's a good point, absolutely. And then, and then the other one, Malachi Weidman, a Florida State commit. You know, he's a, a talented receiver, and the numbers are low there. So I think uh, you know, I, I think they got a shot at both of them. And if you come out of there two for two with those two and then still kind of wait it out for Zach Evans, it's a pretty nice class for, for Tennessee to close out. But I wouldn't expect very many names, if any, besides those two tomorrow. To take three, you'd have to do some juggling, wouldn't you? Probably so, but you know, you've been through this, Jimmy. You don't put it past the coaches to make the, that num- those numbers work. They, they've, got the, mm-hmm. they've got the special sauce to, to, well, it's called blue shirt, gray shirt, <laughs> no shirt, yeah. something. Yeah, I think if they've got if they're at their limit and Zach Evans is a possibility, they'll find room. I'm guessing they have a a contingency plan, a, a, a what if scenario. So, but you know, look if they if they don't get either one of them, you know, the, I think you still come out of this class still feeling like they have a pretty good group. But you know the 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 numbers in terms of of offensive playmakers may be a a skosh low, but they still have some that they brought in in the early signing periods. To, it's a good group, but you're right. Uh, they're they're them getting to three would probably need some maneuvering to make that all work. But they'll do it. Vince Ferrara, our guest, to join us, 656-9900, 656-9900, star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers, the toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Sports Talk continues on 99.1, the sports animal. Thanks for listening and making 99.1, the sports animal, number one for sports conversation at work. Sports Talk continues. 
Vince Ferrara joining us this hour. To join us, 656-9900, 656-9900-STAR-990 is free. For AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers, the toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. Vince, just as uh, we are wondering who, if any, will sign with Tennessee tomorrow, um, there is also the fact that a number of volunteers are trying to make their strongest case to be taken when the NFL draft arrives. And uh, as you continue to do deep dive after deep dive in some of the mock drafts, uh, some now are going beyond the first round. Who are some of the first Tennessee players that you've seen included in some mock drafts? Well, I saw a three-round mock draft by Chad Reuter, and it surprised me a little bit because he actually had Daryl Taylor taken before Jawan Jennings. Now, both of them very close in the third round. Every draft I've seen has... That really Taylor headed Jennings. I've seen four, all of them. Okay, did I, you see? Do you have some different? No, no. This this one has has Taylor at eighty to the now Las Vegas Raiders, and then Jawan Jennings at eighty six. That's in the third round. Then Jawan Jennings eighty six in the third round to the Buffalo Bills. Now, I, I, maybe there are uh, more of the multi round mock drafts that are out there. There are plenty of them. You can Google a bunch, and you can find mock drafts everywhere, but trusting them and and just any seeing if they're just anyone's you know mock draft that can be thrown up there. I mean, anyone can do one. Our entire staff has done one. They can be local. They can be from uh, websites that are are, are strictly guessing. Uh, you know, I, I don't know where those those outlets are, but unless they're they're the big national ones and they're they're people that I've I've seen before, probably, usually don't put too much stock. Well, in. I'll tell you what, we mentioned it earlier today. Bleacher Report, Daryl Taylor, third round, the pick one hundred and one, uh, and Jennings, fourth round, pick one forty four. Uh, you mentioned the NFL dot com with Chad Reuter, and then CBS Sports has Taylor, third round, eighty fifth pick, Jennings, fourth round, pick one twenty nine. Okay, and there was another one that I don't have that I saw that also had Taylor going ahead of Jennings. Uh, we talked about this earlier. Taylor played the entire senior year with a stress fracture. He had surgery last week. That's why he didn't work out at the Senior Bowl. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's invited to the combine. He's going to go, but he's not going to work out. Jennings is also, I understand, invited to the combine. But Tuli's invited to the combine. But uh, in fact, one person I talked to earlier today said that there are some teams that do not have Jennings on the board at all due to his character concerns, and that most of the scouts at the Senior Bowl told this person who was at the Senior Bowl that Jennings would be a fifth to a seventh-round pick. But it's kind of like what you're saying. You hear so many different things. Who knows? Mm-hmm. I remember one year, years ago, Mel Kuyper said this quarterback from Brigham Young was going to be a first-round draft pick. He didn't get drafted. So you never know at this point. A lot of this, I think, will be sifted through when they get through the combine and then some of these pro days, right? Right. Don't you think? Yes, I do. And you know, look, some everybody does it differently. Some people are doing mock drafts based on this team needs has this need. This guy would be a good fit, or finding some sort of connection with the team. So people do. Oh, geographically, uh, this guy, uh, Memphis running back, Tennessee Titans. Oh, and put those <laughs> two together, and it it's different. When I I think some of the ones. That, that do it on the highest level. And you mentioned Mel Kuyper. He's been plenty wrong, but there's been other times where he's been plenty right. I, I, I prefer the style, and not everyone says how they do it, of those that talk to the general managers and, and get a feel for 
what really what those teams are looking for. Even then, you don't know because you're getting the smoke screens sometimes when you're getting that close True. information. So mm-hmm. it's never going to be an exact science. But I like matching what a team is looking for and who they truly like versus, yeah, this team needs needs you know edge rushers, so they're going to take this guy. I, and that's fun to do. I'm not. I'm not doubting that. In terms of putting stock into it and what actually will happen, but um, you know, just just really interesting. And um, I, I think that's kind of the round range for both of those guys, in my opinion, is the third round for mm-hmm. Taylor and for Juwan Jennings. Fifth round, based on the productivity he had this year and plenty of other high compliments and high praise that he got from the Senior Bowl. Uh, yeah, some will have Jennings off their board, but I think plenty of others see the playmaker uh, it, it, that he he is and how he has generally handled himself since since he was off the Tennessee team, and I, I think he'll he'll do a, a nice job in the interviews personally. So, besides Taylor and Jennings, who's the next most likely ball to be drafted? I think it's Batuli. What do you think? Yeah, it's a good question. Probably Batuli. Uh, I think he has some freakish athleticism that will catch some people's attention. He obviously has productivity, and I also think he's going to do a real nice job, especially at the Combine in interviews with with teams. I think he's going to press them with his leadership. I'm sure he's going to get plenty of uh, of high marks if, if they spend any time talking to the Tennessee coaching staff. Uh, and then, you know, with Nigel Warrior, I, I wonder about what he's going to run and some some of those athleticism traits, the measurables that some teams put a lot of stock into. So uh, he's probably the next one after that. And you know, really, I I I think it's kind of slim pickings after that. I, I think a lot of other guys have uh, you know maybe slipped a little bit in in terms of what their projections were. We you know you heard a little bit more buzz towards the end of the year, but. Um, and as far as projecting the NFL, I, I think those would be the top three guys. So how do you see it, Jimmy? Well, it, I, I think that, too. I think Batuli's going to be the third guy. Dominic Wood-Anderson I thought was a draftable tight end, but I'm not hearing much buzz about him. Mm-hmm. And then Marquez Callaway I thought was a guy yeah. that could get selected. Yeah. But I'm not so sure about that. The thing on Batuli, it, it'll be interesting. So the person I talked to said the NFL looks at him as a first and second down linebacker. Mm-hmm. But I also think Batuli's a little bit, like Jennings in that I don't know that either one of them are going to blow you away with their testing, with their speed. But when you look at the film and when you watch them play, I think that is what is going to help their draft stock. See, I think I, you're right about Jennings. He's not going to run a blazing uh, time. But I think I think Batuli has just pretty good athleticism. I think he runs side to sideline, sideline to sideline pretty well. And maybe that's on the field football time versus – the clock time that he'll get in that setting, we'll see on that. But I think he'll, I think he'll jump well. Um, I think he'll do a lot of change of direction. I think Batuli can can do pretty good in some of those testing and measurables. And remember when Marquez Callaway before the season was talking about how he ran that four four? He's got to do that. If he does, he has that high point ability and special teams return ability which is not a major part of the NFL these days. It's being de-emphasized clearly, and they're going to do away with it eventually. But I, I still think that's some value. And that's another thing Batuli brings to the table is special teams. Jennings does also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So I, I think all those things help the, those guys uh, for the next level. And maybe Callaway is a punt returner. Yeah, and that's still a part of the the NFL game. I, Callaway would be would be in that three four range in terms of the number uh, of uh, of balls or, or the, the third or fourth off the board, basically from UT. That's Vince Ferrara with Jimmy Hyams of John Wilkerson to join us. 656-9900-656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. That's how you join Sports Talk on 99.1, the sports animal. Sports Talk continues. 656-9900. 656-9900. Star 990 is free for AT&T and U.S. Cellular customers. The toll-free number, 1-866-656-9900. So tomorrow, you've got signing day after Tennessee basketball tonight. Lady Vols back in action on Thursday. That means Wednesday night is wide open. So you have the starting 11 at 7 o'clock. In the Cage is going to uh, episode three, is that right? Two. Episode two, okay. Yeah, soccer with uh, Will West, Chris Carroll from seven to eight. They do an awesome job. Last week's show was a lot of fun to listen to with those guys breaking down uh, the the great international sport of soccer. And then we'll follow up from eight to nine. Tim Loy and myself, he's a matchmaker for Valor Fighting Challenge, uh, a regional promotion based here in Knoxville. So he has a lot of insight, a lot of connections. So we'll talk to Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman, UFC lightweight. He's got the biggest fight of his MMA career coming up February 15th out in New Mexico against veteran Jim Miller. Uh, he will join the show. We'll talk to Demir Fahabagovich, who is challenging for the Valor Fighting Challenge Lightweight Championship, teammate of Scott Hot Sauce Holtzman as well. And we'll talk uh, Conor McGregor and some of the big fights the UFC uh, potentially has coming up based on some comments Dana White made and preview the John Jones and Dominic Reyes fight. A lot, of, lot to discuss in terms of MMA uh, tomorrow night uh, at 8 o'clock. And if folks missed last week, they can find that 991thesportsanimal.com and you caught up with Ovin St. Prue. Yeah, uh, UFC uh, light heavyweight Ovin St. Prue. He joined us last week. Uh, Valor Fighting Challenge lightweight champion David Robbins, who is the opponent and the the champion versus uh, uh, Demir. And so you can go back and listen to that first show, first ever show. Go to the show tab at 99.1 The Sports Animal, and you can f- read up about the show and all the archived uh, podcasts will be up there each week. In the cage. In the cage, MMA Radio, 8 to 9, every Wednesday night. It's a big week for Tennessee basketball. Mm-hmm. One, they are, they're on the road at Alabama. They come home to uh, host Kentucky. What do you think is missing right now? They've lost three straight, but this is the first time that the, they've experienced a three-game losing streak in three years. Yeah, I, John, a lot of the things, I've been thinking about this, a lot of the things that this team has struggled with and are missing from the their what we see on the court from them, uh, especially as of late in their little skid, are things that Lamonte Turner could have brought to the table and would have, I think, had he been healthy. Not just there, but also healthy. Think about what Lamonte did. First of all, terrific perimeter defender. Probably their best on-ball defender. And they're missing that. Um, The ball handler, clearly, it can split that up. And there's times where Santiago Vescovi turns the ball over, has a difficult time 
from time to time in, in ball handling when he's getting this SEC pressure. Uh, Three-point shooting. When he's healthy, he was as good as this team had. Uh, leadership. Uh, driving the lane, not only effectively, but fearlessly. Tennessee does not do that enough. When they're playing their best basketball, they're getting in the paint, and they're playing inside out. And it's another thing that he would do so well and was willing to do. But maybe the biggest thing that this team, uh, that he would have brought to the table is when they go through scoring droughts. Even last year, with all those now NBA players on that team, it was timely Lamonte Turner shots and makes that would get them out of offensive funks and then would get them going. Even if it wasn't him getting on a run after that, it was he had no fear and he was not afraid of the moment and he would make a big shot and then the team would wake up and go on a run after that. It happened a bunch in his time, especially uh, last year. Just unfortunate that he started out the year he wasn't healthy and so you didn't see the full Lamonte Turner but that's a lot of different things that he would bring to the table if healthy that this team can certainly use. I know it doesn't matter in the end because he's not there, he's not going to be there, but it's just unfortunate that you can point to so many of those different things that would have come with one player. And also, here's another thing, then Jordan Bowden. I mean, we've we've talked about the Jordan Bowden is not the Batman, he's more of a Robin as a as more of a number 2. Well, Lamonte Turner is more than willing to be Batman. He yeah. loves it. And yep. so that would slide Bowden into a more comfortable position as sort of that secondary guy. You, that's what you thought going into the year, that those two as a duo, one of the better duos in the league, and you, just we never got a chance to see what they could do at 100% as a duo in those in those roles. Um, just uh, just a lot of things that would have fallen much more into place. Nothing they wouldn't be like last year's team. Not saying that because they don't have the depth of talent and experience that they did a year ago. But one player could have done so much for him. And I'll say one other thing: if they had Victor Bailey on this team, if he was eligible to play, he would help them. I mean, you, you very see, much so. See him in practice. You hear about him. I mean, this kid's is pretty good. He's a scorer. He's, he can drive. He gives them heck in practice. Uh, it's unfortunate that he's not eligible because he's on the team. He could really help them right now. How many games do you think Tennessee would have won if Turner had been there? I mean, I, I look at probably two. Mm. Memphis and A&M. I would say those two hadn't gone through game by game. Um, Obviously discounting those in which he did play already. Right, be it, you know, just wasn't one hundred percent too. That's another factor. Is do you know? Do they lose to Florida so he played, State? He played against Memphis, but not one hundred percent. So right. I'm I'm going to say Memphis and A and M are the two. I think they. Uh, I would have probably maybe put in the probable category. John, win. you were down there at Florida State. Lamonte played in that game. Yes, just he what, did. Yeah, if and he's that, healthy, what do you think? That was such a tough game for Tennessee because they got turned over so many times. Mm -hmm. uh, the game wound up being a three-point ball game, but it really wasn't that close. They hit mm -hmm. a shot late to make it that. So um, I, I don't think that game changes just for what Florida State was able to do to upset Tennessee. What about Upset Tennessee's rhythm, not it'd be an upset, but technically it was. Tennessee was ranked Florida State. I don't think was. Right. You know, Cincinnati ended up being, I guess that was a, ended up being in the end a double-digit type of game, but... And some sometimes those games get away late in the 
uh, in the margin. And if you play it right early on, it's a completely different game. So I'd say, you know, at least two, but I'm, I'm guessing with so much that he would bring to the table that maybe there's a third in there just beyond just a couple of point loss. So looking down the road with what Tennessee has right now, I don't see a whole lot more than a couple of wins. Do you? No, and here here's the thing. Out of their eight remaining regular season games, Jimmy, seven of the eight are quad one games. And and what that means is the quadrants is what the NCA is using as as their their basis uh where they do uh, the difficulty of the schedule. Quadrant one is the toughest games. It's teams that are games that are at home uh, with teams ranked 1 through 15. Neutral site games is anyone ranked 1 through 25. Away games is anyone ranked, uh, no, excuse me, um, away games is anyone, uh, 1 through 30 is the home games, 26 through 50 neutral site games. Anyone in the top 50, you play them on a neutral site, then that is a quadrant one. And then one through 75 is an away game. Then that's what falls into quadrant one. Those would be the most difficult games. Obviously, they give you some slack with lesser team when you play them on the road or neutral site. Then beyond that, it's it's staggered home ranking uh, neutral. And then the away, like quadrant two, you can go from 70, 76 to 135, anyone in that range. So here's the remaining games for, for Tennessee in their quadrants. And it's 10 games left. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. 10, 10 games left. So seven of the, the, of the 10 remaining. They have both of the Auburn games, home and away, are quadrant one. Uh, both of the Kentucky games are quadrant one. The Arkansas road game right now, Arkansas is ranked 35th in the the NCAs I guess they're using the net rankings for this so that Arkansas away game is a quadrant one the Arkansas home game right now is a quadrant two the Alabama away game tonight is a quadrant one and then it may not stay that way and probably won't but currently the South Carolina road game is a quadrant one right now the South Carolina 74 so they're just in there now, if they continue to lose, they'll slip back, and that'll probably fall to a quadrant two or a quadrant three even. The other quadrant two game they have left is Florida at uh, at home because Florida's ranked 42nd. And then the other game is a quadrant four, and that's the home game against Vanderbilt, and Vanderbilt is 169, excuse me, 168. So seven of the ten are quadrant one. Now, you get wins, it helps you out. Right now, they need wins because currently their quadrant one record is one in five. The quadrant two records, which are the second most difficult group of games, Tennessee is three and three. Quadrant three, Tennessee is three and one. And then quadrant four, deemed the easiest games, a lot of the non conference games, as you would imagine, Tennessee is five and oh. So one in five in quadrant one, when you get compared to some other teams on the bubble, it's not a good number. You got you to get some W's in that group. That's Vince Ferrara with Jimmy Hyams. I'm John Wilkerson. We'll get a break and be back with a final segment to this hour of the program. 656-9900 is how you join us. 656-9900 puts you on 99.1, the sports animal. All sports, all the time. It's not a lifestyle we chose. 
We were born this way. 99.1, the sports animal. Have you been able to keep in touch with those guys in the NBA? Oh, you talk to them all the time? Of course. I talk to Admiral all the time, Kyle a lot. I don't talk to Bonus much, but, I mean, I talk to him every now and then. I mean, I talk to all of them. I mean, we all have our same group chat, like, same team group chat. It hasn't changed. Same people in it. It's always people talking to it all the time. What do they say about the league? Uh, it's different, you know, and they, they talk about it's a grind. They do talk about a lot of the principles that, like, Tennessee has taught them, how it's helped in uh, their uh, transition from college to the NBA, how it's helped them, like, get ahead of the game, you know. That is Vince Ferrara talking with Jalen Johnson, and you'll be able to hear more of that conversation as the ball in the spotlight on tonight's pregame. Pregame coverage for Tennessee at Alabama starts at 6.30. You can look for that conversation around 6.42-ish. But uh, it looks like things are going quite well for a number of the first-year volunteers in the pro ranks. Absolutely, and a great night for Grant Williams last night for Tennessee. Brad... uh, uh, Stevens, Brad Stevens, he called on Grant Williams with three or four minutes left in the game. He he brought him into the game, and Grant Williams immediately got an and one. He got a late bucket in the final minute, played terrific defense, and closed out that ball game for the Boston Celtics. You, with the talent that's on that team, and he's just a rookie, for him, to Brad Stevens have the confidence in him to close out that game, I think... I run through the stats for you, and I can, but that to me is the most significant thing, that trust level, and it just shows you how mature and how he gets it and how he is developing for the Celtics. 13 points last night, 24-plus minutes, but, man, uh, really significant that he got to be on the floor. Six rebounds, three of them offensive, two blocks, two assists, a steal, six and nine field goals, um, just uh, just really clutch plays and, and a lot of trust from Brad Stevens, I think that was very cool and very significant for uh, the rookie. And then Admiral Schofield's had uh, some some bright moments this year as well. And then two others with the two-way contracts in, uh, in Jordan Bone and Kyle Alexander. Kyle hasn't yet to make that NBA debut, has he? No. no. He's, uh, his name is on the roster. He's mm-hmm. got a jersey number at 17. But do you think, I mean, have you seen anything that would point to perhaps him getting that opportunity to get a minute or two? Not yet. I, I think there, there'll, there'll be some strategy. I think the NBA, it's tougher for guys in two-way deals because the NBA has cut back on the back-to-backs on the schedule. That's where they, you know, sitting guys, they bring a, a guy up uh, to, to help them manage some of, of the load management in the NBA. Not as much of a need for that. You know, if they get an injury uh, then it, to one of their posts, I think you'll see it. But man, the Heat are playing so well with Jimmy Butler right now, and that you know it's unfortunate for for Josh Richardson. He didn't start last night. You know they gave up 137 points. Uh, Tobias Harris is getting criticized. That team has just had major issues. Uh, two v- veteran VFLs on that team, but for Josh Richardson has been, I think, disappointing that they haven't had more success in Philly where that the Heat team has, has really taken off. Yeah, he's got a tender hamstring that uh, he, he's been just bothered by right. injury this year, and it's a shame that he hadn't been more consistent in terms of his availability. Right. Uh, but I think once he gets healthy, watch out. I think he's good. They're, and they're great at home. It's mm-hmm. just they've been really underwhelming on the road. Cool moment. I don't know that you saw it, but uh, Washington recently played in Cleveland where every road team is guaranteed a victory. <laughs> and so you have Admiral Schofield and you have Jordan McRae. Yeah. And one of the 
giant heads that they had for the fans to use in Cleveland's arena was Jordan McRae, member of the Cavaliers championship team in 2016. So it was kind of a nice welcome back, but they had one of the big heads that the fans were holding up and just saying a hi, howdy do to a former Cav. Trying to distract him with a head when he was with the Cavs. Right. I like that. That's an interesting strategy there. One other thing that Jalen Johnson mentioned I thought was interesting, that a lot of those guys say that the things that they learned and were taught at Tennessee have helped them prepare for the grind of the NBA and that they still have the same group chat, whether some guy's on the team and some guy's not on the team. I, I, I like that because I think those veterans, this is a time where the, the guys on this team that are struggling might need to lean on some of those veterans in the NBA. Yeah, I've that's that's always cool when you hear about that kind of connection, that bond that continues beyond the, their time with the school. And um, it's so cool because I don't know if you saw the picture, Jimmy, but uh, Rob Lanier, of course, using everything at his disposal. Who did he have down to talk to his Panthers? Uh, Grant Williams. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So When they played the Hawks? Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. So it was just, why not? Swing on by? Hey, I coached him, you know. <laughs> That was Tell them a special, how I told you everything that you learned. Yeah, that was a special group of players Tennessee had that yes. came through. And not not highly rated. For them to turn out the way they did, that's pretty impressive. Quick thought on tonight. couple of things. Pace of play going to be very important tonight. Alabama can get up and down the court. Fourth highest scoring team in the country at 82.2. And Jalen Johnson, one of the things that he'll talk about is Alabama's pace of play. Tennessee needs to be able to dictate it. I know at times when Tennessee's played well, They've they've gotten up the court, try to get some easy baskets, but man, you do that against Alabama. I think you're you're asking for, it, especially if you're not not going to get back in transition playing that way. They also don't have the depth; their bench isn't playing well enough to where they can play as much full court. So it's really a dilemma that Rick Barnes has. So um, you know, and another unfortunate thing is they're not as effective in the half court, but it's probably their best way to win. So it is it's tough. For them, but the the turnover thing has been an issue that they can't be on the wrong end of the turnover margin, and they they've they've got to control the the pace and and be able to try to find a way to be effective in the half court against Alabama. I mean, they got three really good scores, including Petty and uh, you know Kyra Lewis Jr. Is those guys can light it up and bust out twenty five thirty on Shack- any night. Shackleford at twenty eight the other night. Yeah, he's another one. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's more than just one guy. Tennessee's gonna have their hands full at uh, at Alabama tonight. What's going on these days at ninety nine one thesportsanimal dot com, and what can folks expect tomorrow if they were set up for the text alerts in December? Are they set up for tomorrow? They are. You don't have to do anything. You should have gotten a reminder message that you were signed up. If you did not get that yesterday, then all you have to do is text WNML to 68683, and you'll get a reply back and let you know that you're all signed up. And on our website, both in the Vols tab and the very first of the promo reel on the front, is the National Signing Day page. It's got a link to all the early Signing Day player profiles. You can see all those, and then anything new that gets added tomorrow, those will be on there. Uh, you got analysis from Eric Kane and Josh Ward on those players. You'll have uh, highlights and tons of, of info on each of the players. So it, it's probably not going to be busy all day, but whoever does sign with Tennessee will have lots of info. So check that out and all the blogs and audio and video and everything else 
at 991thesportsanimal.com. Vince, thank you very much. Look forward to your conversation with Jalen Johnson tonight as part of the Vol Network coverage. And don't forget, In the Cage tomorrow night, 8 o'clock after the starting 11. Thank you very much. Appreciate you guys. Have a great night. That's Vince Ferrari.